Welcome to Gear Up with Gear Experts, episode 24, Wind Energy Myths Debunked. Gear Up with Gear Experts is a bi-weekly show hosted by me, John Medina, my colleague Alex Giddings. The show is for at-height workers, industry, and construction, and is brought to you and produced by GME Supply and Columbia Safety and Supply. This episode's theme is Wind Energy Myths. The wind energy industry has seen explosive growth over the past decade. In fact, according to the American Wind Energy Association, wind energy facilities generated 6.5% of the electricity used in 2018. That's enough to power 26 million homes. Today we're proud to welcome Cody Sellers back as our guest in the studio. Cody is the Northwest Regional Sales Manager and first joined us back on Episode 3. Thanks for coming back on the show, Cody. We're excited to have you in the studio to debunk some of the myths about wind energy. Now for the fun part. Questions. Alex, care to start the questions? Sure, John. So, Cody, let's first start with one of the most common myths that floats around about wind energy. That myth is that it's actually more expensive than conventional energy generation methods. So can you elaborate on that myth? Absolutely. You know, there's actually two sides to this. Yes, wind is a bit more expensive to build initially versus these older established power plants. And the day-to-day operating costs may be slightly higher because of the variability of the wind, but several investigations and studies have shown these costs are pretty small. I mean, we're talking less than two mils per kilowatt hour in certain cases. When the Colorado Public Service Commission issued a ruling back in 2001 on the 161 megawatt project in Lamar, they actually determined that wind energy provided the lowest cost of any new generation resource, with the only exception back then being one small hydro plant. And this actually holds true today. Now, I don't have the cost per kilowatt hour back in 01, but even today, wind energy costs just between two and six cents per kilowatt hour. Now, compare that to 2017 numbers for nuclear energy at nine cents. I think natural gas was between five and 10 cents and coal just over 10 cents per kilowatt hour. Now, that same study back in 01 also noted that unlike other generation resources considered, that single wind farm in Lamar avoided the risk of future increased fuel prices. Now, there's also been a study done recently about the integration of wind into the New York State power grid, where by adding just 10% of wind-generated power, it actually lowered the projected utility payments of electricity customers by tens of millions of dollars in about 12 months' time. And you can browse all over the internet for different opinions, different studies, different numbers, but you'll find that the majority of reports, wind power is holding its own against all other forms of new energy generation. And on top of that, it has a much quicker rate of reducing carbon emissions. Not only is the power generated by a wind farm free from carbon, but it will only take an average of six to nine months to repay its carbon footprint if it's only operating at about 80%. So is it cheaper? In the majority of cases, absolutely. Yeah, that's one of those things, like you said, you can search around the internet and find something to confirm what you're trying to prove, but it sounds like that the you know Colorado Public Service Commission is a relatively legitimate service when doing that kind of study. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think it took much insight and much analysis for them to to figure that out. Pretty neat study. And the 161 megawatt project, how is that in in size and like scope based on what they're building now? Um, It was a pretty average wind farm. I think that one had around 90 to 100 turbines on it. And that was back in 01. So those were probably a two megawatt platform, maybe a little bit less. So now you're seeing upwards of two to 300 megawatts per wind farm on these larger ones, which are 
a hundred plus turbines? Yeah, I think that one of the things that that study didn't necessarily consider because it couldn't was that was 18 years ago. So technology, as we all know, makes things easier or more efficient over time. So I bet the turbines that are being built now are actually a little bit better than those ones back then. So it's safe to assume that as technology gets better, that that cost is actually going to continue to go down. Yeah, not only that, but not only are the new wind turbines much more efficient, but even now these companies are going back and repowering the old turbines that were built 18, 20 years ago, and they're bringing them up to speed. So they're just as efficient as the new ones being built today. That's awesome. And now that we've established that cost isn't as astronomical as everyone thinks it is, let's talk about the turbines themselves. They're huge. Like typically when you see them in pictures or on TV, movies, whatever, they're really far in the distance. So you don't always realize how big they actually are. Size can vary depending on the use of the electricity being generated. But for this discussion, we're going to discuss the larger versions, the utility scale turbines. Their blades can be around 165 feet, which is 50 meters long, and the diameter of the rotor can be over 325 feet, which is 100 meters. So for scale, for those of you listening, that's more than the length of a football field. So with these massive pieces of metal, there has to be some noise generated. Could you talk about how loud the turbines are? You know, actually, these modern turbines aren't that loud. Most turbines that have been erected in the last five to six years produce very little noise. You may hear a whooshing sound as the blades encounter turbulent air. It just sounds like a big fan blade, honestly. Um, If you're standing less than about 300 feet from one, that's about all you'll hear. Um, It can be pretty loud, about as loud as your blender or vacuum cleaner if you're that close. This sound is also dampened by the actual wind blowing through that farm as well. So now, of course, some of these are built close to residential areas, but the closest that a wind farm can actually be built to a house or residential area is no less than 300 meters, and that's close to about three football fields. So at that distance, the average turbine produces about 40 decibels, which is about as loud as your household refrigerator. So I'm thinking, here's a big fan that's about 300 football fields from your house, producing a nice, gentle whoosh sound, if you will. So I probably won't have any problems going to sleep at night. Yeah, and and another issue that people sometimes have concerns about are the environmental impacts. Uh, So while wind energy does save the environment by using this renewable energy, there are some that contend that the wind turbines kill birds or, you know, that type of thing. Is there an actual truth to that? You know, bird kills did cause some serious scientific concern. I think it was one location in the U.S., um, Altamont Pass in California. This was one of the first areas in the country to really experience significant wind developed development over a short period of time. It did cause a slight disruption to the bird population, uh, but however, in the past decade, the wind community um, and other scientific communities have learned that wind farms and wildlife can and do coexist successfully. So wind energy development's overall impact on birds is pretty low. We're talking less than one in 30,000. And compare that to other human-related causes such as buildings, deforestation, uh, traffic, even house cats, and of course, grandma's big picture window with the bird feeder out front. Well, and I, I think we were talking about this, that planes during takeoff and landing kill more birds than wind turbines I, annually. I think, yeah, I think I have seen that stat somewhere as well. Yeah. So that's, that's interesting. So, you know, birds or any animal for that matter can adapt to wind turbines just as they do with these other man-made structures. However, conventional fuels contribute to air and water pollution as well, and that can have far greater impact on wildlife and their habitat. 
as well as the environment and human health, of course. Now, this isn't mentioned as much, but drive through some of these wind, wind heavy farm or wind farm heavy areas, and you'll see that they're built on actual American farms. Now, these farms and farmers are able to thrive because of the incentives that come from these wind farms. Now, I myself come from a Midwestern farm, and I can tell you from experience, you don't put something on your farmland unless it both benefits the land and it pays for itself. So not only that, but the cattle love standing in the shade made by these big structures. So are they harmful? I'd have to say wind turbines are about as harmful to birds or any animal for that matter as the car you're driving, regardless if it's a hybrid. So staying in the theme with wind turbines and their effect on the ecosystem. So another subset of turbines are actually offshore turbines. So they're on the co- or they're in the water. So a lot of people, when they hear that, they question whether or not that's safe for the sea life. So let's talk a bit about if there are any effects on sea life when using offshore turbines. So this one is pretty cool and it's a little more complex and we'll have to go overseas to get our information. Uh, most of the established offshore wind farms sit in the North Sea off the coast of the UK and most all of the impact studies have been conducted there. This one's pretty interesting mainly because the lead study conducted by the Hemholtz Center for Materials and Coastal Research in Germany uh, is focused on the blue mussel population. Now, so far this study's conclusions are pretty positive. They say offshore wind platforms are changing the nature of marine ecosystems in complex, unanticipated, and beneficial ways. I won't get into great detail about how the study has been conducted because it sounded super complicated, but suffice it to say they've gone to great lengths to compile their data using satellites, uh, water level measurements, field trials, and computer analysis. So far, uh, one of the important effects they've recorded is that offshore farms um, are acting as preservation areas because fishing and bottom trawling is not allowed due to the safety concern. So these blue mussels seem to be the catalyst in all this as they will attach themselves to the bases of wind turbines, which they found can support an estimated four tons of these shellfish. So the mussels create biomass, which obviously attracts other marine life, in turn creating greater biodiversity in those areas than in the unprotected waters where you can fish and trawl. So not only are these mussels creating a sea life preserve, but they're filter feeders which means as they feed, they filter heavy metals, uh, toxins, bacteria from the water. So all that said, one could argue that as we build more of these offshore wind turbines, not only are we creating clean, renewable energy, but each turbine is a four-ton seawater filtration system. So there you go. How about that? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show to talk about wind energy myths and how they are just that, myths. We do have one last question before we let you go. If someone wanted to contact you about their wind energy equipment, requirements, or needs, how could they reach you? Of course. I make it very easy to get a hold of me. You can call me directly at 573-917-4468 or by my super easy email at c-o-d-y at g-m-e dot com. Thanks, Cody. We'd also like to remind our listeners that you can also contact our gear experts with any questions at 718-210-3913 or via our instant chat feature. You can use that by heading over to gmesupply.com or colsafety.com and hitting the click here to chat button in the lower right hand corner. Cody just dropped some knowledge bombs and addressed some of the myths that are associated with the wind industry. We wanted to continue with the theme of the wind industry and talk about some of the interesting facts in the U.S. All of the information we're going to discuss comes from AWEA, which is the American Wind Energy Association. Alex, care to jumpstart the conversation? 
Sure, John. So the U.S. wind industry added 7,588 megawatts of total wind capacity in 2018, with another 1,577 megawatts added in the first half of 2019. So there are also over 57,000 wind turbines with a combined capacity of 97,960 megawatts operating in 41 states, Guam, and Puerto Rico. U.S. wind power has more than tripled over the past decade, and today is the largest source of renewable generating capacity in the country. So adding all of those new wind turbines actually helps the U.S. in another way. In 2018, the U.S. wind industry supported 114,000 jobs across all 50 states plus Puerto Rico. Texas actually leads the nation with over 25,000 people employed in the wind industry. In the last decade, over $142 billion has been invested in new wind projects, with $12 billion of what was spent in 2018 being private investment. Wind projects also pay over $1 billion to state and local governments and private land owners every year. Yeah, and one of the things to note, all those jobs that have been created, that's not just people going out to construct and maintain those structures. There's a lot of what you could consider more white-collar jobs, overseeing the the general business practices, uh, analyzing where those wind turbines should be put, that sort of thing. So it's it's not just on the maintenance and construction side. There's, there's an entire industry with, with a, a wide variety of employment opportunities. So um, something to note that it's, it's really interesting how this industry is growing. Uh, and then also over 20% of the electricity produced in six states is provided by wind energy. And wind energy also helped the U.S. avoid 201 million metric tons of CO2 emissions in 2018 alone. We'd also like to remind everyone that while this show is meant to be fun, entertaining, and informative, it's not intended to replace proper in-depth training. Manufacturer's instructions must also be followed and reviewed before any equipment is used, and proper training should be received before operating any equipment or before climbing. We'd like to hear from you about why you climb. Email us a voice message at gearup at gearexperts.com about why you climb and what climbing means to you for a chance to be featured on the show. And win some swag, of course. We hope you had fun and found a lot of value in today's episode. You can find more information and detailed show notes at gearexperts.com slash episode 24. Get social with us at Gear Expert Show, at GME Supply, and at COL Safety on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. Gear Up with Gear Experts is available on all major podcast listening platforms. Hit that subscribe button if you're new to the show. We'd really appreciate it. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. If you got a few seconds to drop a rating and review in Apple Podcasts and let us know how we're doing, that'd be awesome. Gear Up with Gear Experts is presented, produced, and edited by GME Supply and Columbia Safety and Supply. Your hosts are Alex Giddings and John Medina. And until next time, climb high.